You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on July 1st, 2018. A reading from the second letter to the Corinthians. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, But they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that, as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. You've probably all heard of something called the Japanese tea ceremony. Tea is very important in Japanese culture, and so they've found ways to ritualize the drinking of tea Uh, and the honoring of guests in this special ceremony. Well, in Ethiopia, they have something that I can relate to far more than the Japanese tea ceremony. They have the Ethiopian coffee ceremony. I hear a lot of you can relate to this, yes. Uh, So, in the the Ethiopian coffee ceremony, uh, people will often make a charcoal fire outside, and they'll take a frying pan, and they'll take... Uh, raw coffee beans and put them in the frying pan and then they roast the beans right there just a a spoon stirring them around right over the the charcoal fire and then they dump it into this uh, kind of like a mortar and pestle type thing and they they beat the the, no electric grinders we're talking about beating down these coffee beans into a nice fine powder and then they, uh, they have a kettle of water that they pour over it and they make the coffee, and then they, they share it with one another. This is very important for, uh, for welcoming guests uh, in Ethiopia. You always would offer coffee like this. 
Now, there's a woman named Cham who regularly goes around the villages in Gambela, Ethiopia, and she brings coffee and this ceremony. She brings the charcoal fire, the kettle, all of it, to these villages, and she sets up in the middle of the village, and she starts making coffee, and she starts gathering uh, the women of the community around her to drink coffee, and then she takes the opportunity to share with them about some basic hygiene practices. Things like washing your cups and your plates and your bowls. Things like boiling your water to purify it before you drink it. And this is important to Cham because she didn't know these things until someone taught her. She went to the hospital and to the medical clinic constantly with her eight children. One of them even died. And they kept getting sick, but they had no idea why they were getting sick. And so when she learned about things like germs and the importance of washing your dishes and purifying your water, life changed remarkably for her. And so now she goes out into these villages. The average Ethiopian woman has 9 to 11 pregnancies in her lifetime, but usually only 2 to 4 of their children survive. Can you imagine that? And so she is sharing literally life with the women that she visits because she is sharing the thing that she's found and teaching them how to do the same. The place where she learned this in the first place was uh, the, uh, the Gambella Anglican Center, which uh, my friend Bishop Grant Lamarcond built in Ethiopia. And he and his wife, Wendy, who's a doctor, they, they went as missionaries five years ago. They've since come home for health reasons. But they went there uh, to build up the church in Ethiopia, the Anglican church in Ethiopia. And they built this Gambella Anglican Center uh, as a place for them to live, but also as a, a training place for clergy and as a training place for these basic hygiene practices through something called the Mother's Union, so that they can teach women how to teach other women how to keep their families healthy. And as they go, and as they share coffee, and as they share these basic hygiene practices, they also share the love of Christ with those that they meet. And so the gospel is spreading rapidly in this region, thanks to coffee and the Gambella Anglican Center. And the Gambella Anglican Center was started through seed money that came through the Anglican Relief and Development Fund. The Anglican Relief and Development Fund was created about the same time that the Anglican Church in North America was created to do relief and development work around the world. And it's one of the, the best such organizations in the world because of the way that they research the projects and the impact of the projects and the way the money is spent. They keep their costs incredibly low and they're doing incredible things around the world, building schools, building medical clinics, building training centers, bringing things that make huge differences in the lives of people all over the world, and also providing relief work after disasters, like Hurricane Irma that we experienced here. They sent relief here, and they send relief money around the world after natural disasters. This kind of work that the Anglican Relief and Development Fund is doing has been going on for more than 2,000 years. And this is the kind of work that we see Paul engaging in all the way back in the church in Corinth as we read this letter from 2 Corinthians today. What was going on? In the last 
two years before his final visit to Jerusalem, Paul became really uh, concerned for the church in Jerusalem. And so in all the churches that he had planted, in all of these Gentile regions, he went around encouraging them to take up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. There had been famines in Jerusalem, there had been other issues in Jerusalem, and so the, the Christians in Jerusalem, who were the first Christians, that's where the faith started with Jesus' resurrection, with Pentecost, and with the sending of the apostles out from there. Paul became very concerned that the church in Jerusalem receive relief from their brothers and sisters throughout the world. And so Paul encouraged these churches that he had planted to take up a collection to give aid to the church in Jerusalem. Now, this was intended as a goodwill offering towards uh, the church in Jerusalem. It was also probably a way for Paul to help smooth over any tensions between Gentiles and Jews. You know, a lot of the letters that Paul wrote are about how he has been called to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But when we look in Acts and in Galatians and in some of these other books, we see that there was some tension between the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers, particularly over how much of the law needed to be obeyed. There was a big controversy in the church over this. In fact, the very first council of the church was convened to deal with these Gentile believers and whether or not they needed to be circumcised, whether or not they needed to offer sacrifices in the temple, whether or not they needed to obey the law, just like the Jews did. And so part of this collection was simply to provide relief to the church in Jerusalem, but also to smooth over these tensions, to say that the Gentile church cares for you, the Jewish church. And so in this letter, Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to complete what they had promised to do. And he does this by sharing the testimony of the Macedonian church, which was some distance away. The Macedonian church included places like Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, places where we get letters like the letter to the Philippians and the letters to the Thessalonians. And so here's this Corinthian church and here are these Macedonian churches and Paul is encouraging each of them to give based on the giving capacity of the others, not capacity, but the, the desire to give of the others. And so when he goes to Macedonia, he tells them about how eagerly the Corinthian church received his offering or his suggestion that they, they take up this collection for the churches in Jerusalem. And then he goes to Macedonia and he, he tells them about what the Corinthians did. And then he starts to become worried that the Corinthians may not live up to what they had promised in that first instance. And so in this letter, the second letter to the Corinthians, he's telling them about the generosity of the Macedonians and how they too should use the Macedonians as an example to complete what they had promised to do and take up this full offering for the church in Jerusalem. Now, for some reason, the churches in the region of Macedonia were very poor and were afflicted. We read about this in 2 Corinthians today. We don't know exactly why they were poor and afflicted, but they were. They did not have a whole lot of means. They didn't have a whole lot of wealth. They didn't have a whole lot of ability to give. But Paul desired to point out their eagerness to give, despite the fact that they didn't have very much. And so we look right at the beginning of, of our passage today, 
beginning in verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance, that of the Macedonian church, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. That's a pretty incredible testimony, that this poor church in Macedonia was willing to give according to their means and even beyond their means to support the church in another place in the world. It's hard to give when you're poor. It's hard to give according to your means when you're poor because the amount that you need to give represents pretty much all that you have in some cases. All that you have to live on, all that you have to eat. And to give beyond your means when you're poor is an even greater sacrifice. And yet, Paul points out that these Macedonian believers gave with joy, with excitement. In fact, they even counted it as a privilege to do so, as it says in verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You can kind of picture Paul holding them off and saying, guys, you you really don't have very much. You You don't have to do this. And they say, no, it's a privilege. Please let us participate in this. Please let us help the church in Jerusalem. We want to do this. And so they give abundantly. They give freely. They give willingly, not under compulsion, but because it's the desire of their hearts. Now here, there's one particular word that's kind of interesting. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part. For the favor of taking part. In the New International Version that we read just a few minutes ago, it says, for the privilege of taking part in this relief to the saints or this service to the saints. That word that's uh, favor in the ESV and privilege in the NIV are both ways of translating the Greek word karen which comes from another Greek word, charis, which means to show kindness, to manifest graciousness towards, kindness, graciousness, grace. And the way that we see this most often translated is simply with the word grace. And we see it five times in this passage that we read this morning. Used in different ways, but we see it five times, this graciousness, this kindness shown to others. Here it means that these Macedonian believers counted it as a grace to bestow grace upon others. They counted it as a kindness to bestow kindness upon others. They thought it was a gift to be able to give to others. And in verse 1 it says, the grace of God that has been given We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Their desire to give is not a natural desire. Because naturally, all of us are kind of turned inwards towards ourselves. We want to protect our own needs. We want to protect our own desires. We want to protect our own finances, our own situations. But Paul, in this first verse, 
points to the fact that this is a grace that comes from God. I want you to know about the grace that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. That's not something they could do in their own human strength. But it's a gift that God bestowed upon them. A grace, a favor, a kindness. Because they couldn't do it on their own, but God gave them what they needed to be able to do it. Generosity is a work not that we conjure up in ourselves. It's a work that God does in us, in each of our hearts. But sometimes we feel like we just don't have enough to give. Or like the little bit that we could give wouldn't be more than a drop in the bucket of the need that's out there. And here's what Paul says to that in verse 12. He says, For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. If the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And so what he's saying to the Corinthians is, don't worry about how much you have or how little you have. The point is to give. The point is to be generous. The point is to give according to your means, as he talked about in the Macedonian church. To give according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. So don't worry about whether you have millions of dollars or millions of whatever currency they were using at the time. Or just a small amount. The point is to be generous. Too often we can feel like whatever we're able to give is insignificant compared to the need that's before us. I feel that way when I look at the church in Ethiopia or the church in lots of places around the world. Seeing the extreme poverty, even in our own community, I feel like there's not a whole lot I could do to make too much of a difference in anyone's life. But that's not the point. The point is that God wants us to open our hands to open our hearts, and to be generous. To God, the amount of a gift is not nearly as important as the act of generosity. Both Paul and Jesus instruct that we should give generously in proportion to what we have. And so you may remember the story that comes from the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus and his disciples are in the temple, in the temple courtyards, And in the temple courtyards, there was a place where people could come and bring their offerings. And there was uh, sort of like a, I don't know, if you've ever seen those those sort of large funnels, uh, there's one at at Mosh, where I take my kids sometimes to go to the science museum. And you stick your your quarter in there, and it kind of spirals its way down, and it's really cool to watch. Well, imagine a big funnel like that, made out of metal, And you could come up to it and you could put your metal coins into it and it would make a big loud noise. And the Pharisees liked to do this a lot. They liked to go into the temple and they liked to present their gift with a lot of fanfare and put it into that funnel and it would make a big clanging noise and they could show off and be really excited about what they had given and more excited about the way that people had seen them give. But Jesus with his disciples looks at a poor widow And here's what it says. Jesus looked up and saw 
the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. Jesus was impressed with the spirit of that widow. He was impressed with the spirit of generosity, the grace that God had put into her to be able to give up all that she had for the preciousness of the worship of the temple. It's not about how much. It's about our hearts and the condition of our hearts. Why is giving so important to God? Personally, I'd I'd rather just avoid some of the passages about giving in Scripture, just kind of gloss over them. But it comes up over and over again. Jesus talks about giving. Paul talks about giving. The Old Testament is full of giving and sacrifice and offerings for this and offerings for that. Why is there so much giving in the the Bible? Why does it matter so much to God? Because this is God's book. So if God put this book together, he must care about giving. Well, I think for one thing, it breaks the selfishness that we're all prone to. That tendency that we have to desire to skip over those passages about giving, that's the thing that God is trying to correct. He's trying to correct the closed-fisted way that we hold on to resources sometimes and to get us to open up our hands in a spirit of generosity. It's a gift that he wants to do for us. It's a work he desires to do in our hearts. He wants to help us become less selfish. And not just with money. We're selfish in all kinds of ways. But money is a really easy symbol of our selfishness and a really easy way for us to demonstrate what God is doing in our lives. It's a a tangible thing that we can practice and do. So I think it breaks the selfishness that we're all prone to. But it's also because God himself is a giving God. God himself is a giving God. And he desires for each of us to become more like him. One commentator on this passage said, God is generous, and where his grace is truly experienced in people's lives, the evidence will be a similar love and generosity. When you have the love of Christ in your heart, it's evident because of the way that you treat others. When you've received the gift that God gives to you, it's evident in your life because you desire to be a giving person, a selfless person, a sacrificial person. We become more like God when we give. Not as a work, not as something that builds us up like the Pharisees who were throwing lots of money into the, into the big clangy symbol thingy, We become more like God because it's a work he's doing in us, helping us to open our hands and our hearts to the needs of others. There's one more word I want to point out from our passage today, and that's the the word that's translated as relief in my translation here. He says in verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. 
taking part in the relief of the saints. It's the same word that's in the name of the Anglican Relief and Development Fund. And that word in Greek is diakonias. Diakonias, which is the same word from which we get deacon, like our own deacon Stephen here. And deacon means servant. There's a a wonderful uh, tool I have available to me in, in doing these studies on the scriptures, and it's a word study tool that looks at the history of a word in Greek. It's kind of like, uh, there's a, in English, there's something called the Oxford English Dictionary that will trace the lineage of a word, the history of a word, where it comes from, what languages it's sourced from. But uh, this one is a theological history of the words that we find in the Greek Bible. It's, it's like, I don't know, 10 volumes big. It's uh, thick volumes. So every Greek word that we find in the Bible, there's, there's a little uh, article, actually sometimes a big article that talks about it. And in the article on this word about diakonias, It says that the concrete sense is uh, simply to wait upon a table, or to care for, or to serve. But then in the history of this, he starts to talk about the cultural significance. And so he says, for the Greeks, service is undignified. For the Greeks, we are born to rule, not to serve. For the Greeks, we're born to rule, not to serve. In Judaism, service is not thought of to be unworthy, and hence a deeper meaning of this word develops. But by exalting service and relating it to the love of God, Jesus both sets forth a completely different view from that of the Greeks, and he purifies the Jewish concept. And so what does Jesus teach about serving and service? Well, in the next chapter beyond that passage about the widow's offering, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And in chapter 22, verse 25, he says, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. For who is the greater, the one who reclines at the table, or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But here's his teaching, here's his point. But I am among you as one who serves. I am among you as one who serves. That's the pattern that Jesus set up. That's the pattern that he taught to his disciples. That's the pattern that's been passed down in the church in Christianity through the ages. That we are to be like Jesus, as one who serves. The ultimate service, the ultimate grace which Jesus gives is his earthly life and in his death on the cross for our sins. And so we see Paul tag that in verse 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Isn't that amazing? Just think about that for a second. This is the gift that Jesus gives to us. It says in Philippians that though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And being found in human form, 
He gave himself over to death, even death on a cross. Jesus left the heavenly places. There was nothing that he needed, nothing that he lacked, nothing that he wanted when he was in heaven. Angels would have served him day and night. And that would have been right, for he's God who created them. But Jesus left all of that. Look at the cover of your bulletin for a moment. This is uh, someone's depiction of Jesus during his temptation in the wilderness, right at the beginning of his earthly ministry. And in this picture, you can see him just sort of sitting there and imagine what's going through his head. Imagine him recalling what it was like to be in heaven, to want for nothing, and now to be sitting on a rock in the desert, hungry for bread. Jesus became poor so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. Jesus willingly left all of that. He endured poverty and intense pain and suffering so that we could become royalty, the children of God. kind of like the prince and the pauper. We get to change places with Jesus. We don't get to become God, but we get to become royalty. We get to become children of God. And that happened because of Jesus' sacrifice for us, the gift that he gives to us, the gift of his grace. Paul's point is that we shouldn't just receive this grace from Jesus and sit on it. We shouldn't just receive this grace from Jesus and sit on it. Instead, we should follow the pattern that he established and give to those around us. Now, in this passage, Paul is chiefly talking about relief for those who are poor. That's what we read about in the Old Testament as well. There are lots of different ways that the New Testament and the Old Testament talk about giving. But here we're talking about specifically the act of almsgiving of giving to the poor, of helping those who are in need. This is what we do when we gather together like we did yesterday for the food giveaway and the clothing giveaway. Taking from our abundance, from that which God provides to us, and giving to those who need it. And there are other ways to do it too. Through the Anglican Relief and Development Fund, through organizations in our community, or by just rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty a little bit. There are lots of ways to give. Not just money, but also the gift of your time. The gift of your vehicle to transport people and move them around. The gift of your home to welcome people in and show hospitality. The gift of your talents, using the gifts that God has given you to bless others. These are all ways that we can give. These are all ways that we can serve. These are all ways that we can take what God has abundantly given us and open our tight, closed fists so that we might give to others, so that God might change our hearts and help us to become more like him. When we give, we get to participate in the work that God is doing in the world, which is amazing. Putting into practice the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as with the Macedonian believers, 
we can count that as a privilege, a favor, a grace that God gives to us. To be able to participate in the work that he's doing. To be able to bless those who are in need. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example that you've given us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he was willing to empty himself, to take the form of a servant, and to give himself up for us, even to death on the cross. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to follow in that way of service, that you would open our hands to the needs of others, open our hearts to serve those around us, Take our selfishness and replace it with generosity. That we might be made more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. By the grace that you give us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org slash sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.